Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by my dear friend and repeat guest, Rick Barrera. Rick is also known as the Revenue Accelerator for the work he does with entrepreneurs, small businesses, and enterprise organizations to smooth the on-ramp and make them easier to do business with. He believes you can generate any level of revenue you choose, whether you choose to generate it, whenever you choose to generate it. He is also the head of faculty for the Center of Heart-Led Leadership in Denver, Colorado, where he works with SEAL Team 6 leaders, world-class mountain climbers, Fortune 500 CEOs, journalists, and astronauts to teach relationship-focused leadership to the next generation of leaders. Rick's written six books on branding, customer service, sales, and leadership. You can receive a free copy of his latest book by reaching out to him at Barrera, B-A-R-R-E-R-A.com. And I've asked Rick to join us today to help us all grow our revenues a little faster and be better leaders. So, Rick, thank you so much for joining us. I so appreciate your friendship and time. How are you doing, my friend? I'm happy to be here. This is uh, exciting. Talk to you again. I know. We basically had a full interview before the interview just because we haven't caught up in such a long time. So, um, man, it's glad to hear that you're doing so well. Now, for the people that haven't heard the first interview with you or uh, don't know your background story, how did you get started? Like, you're working with some impressive names in the industry. You've been at this game a long time, 25, 30-something years now. I mean, you've been, you were a name back in the day. I remember telling me about when you had a cell phone. This is before people could even afford cell phones, and it took up the whole trunk of your car. People didn't even know cell phones necessarily existed because it was such a massive device and so expensive. But you've just been helping companies grow for such a long time. But how did you even get started into all this? Uh, Well, I I was in sales, and I was in sales leadership. And uh, some other people that I, that I knew were, you know, had sales teams and they started asking me to come speak. Can you come speak to my team? Tell them what you're doing. Why, why is what you're doing working so well? And, and, uh, and then I discovered I could do that for a living. That was, I, I met a guy who, you know, I went to hear him speak and I was blown away. And I said, you know, what do you do for a job? And he said, what are you talking about? They said, what do you do for a living? And he said this. And I said, you can speak for a living? And that's when I got excited about it. And, and uh uh, started my company. That's awesome. And you have your own sort of unique question methodology. Is that correct? Can you speak about that a little bit? I mean, this is what you developed, isn't it? And yeah, so it's it's called collaborative selling, and um, I'm I'm in the midst of writing that book again. So mm-hmm. um, the the book that's out currently called Collaborative Selling is third generation stuff. We're on the fifth generation of material now. And it's really the entire methodology is built around questions. So it's not it's not about, you know, pitching and promoting and, you know, trying to convince people and sell stuff to people. It's just it's really a problem solving or opportunity finding methodology is just to interview people and understand, you know, what are their biggest opportunities? What you know, what are the issues that they're having in their lives? And then 
and then exploring further to understand, you know, how you might be able to to help them with something. So it's really about helping. I just did, I just did, um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, it just works for anything, but I just had a session with Siemens, um, on, you know, and they're selling $8 million uh, generators. And, you know, they were like, you know, are you sure this is going to work in our marketplace or whatever? And they, you know, I just talked to them yesterday and they, they've got all kinds of meetings set up after their meetings and, you know, mm-hmm. consults and, you know, they're going all over the world now to connect with people because, you know, and the guy just said it just flat out works. He said it just flat out works. It just, mm-hmm. it's amazing that, you know, you talk to people and you try to help them understand their world and they tell you where all their pain is and what the problems are and the opportunities they have. And, and uh, it's, you know, makes it easy and you just help them. Mm. What, a, what a weird concept, helping people and getting paid to do it. Yeah. So it's, I like it because it's just, it's relaxed. You just go in and you have a conversation. You know, I'm not there. To, I'm not, I don't have to be all hyped up and do a pitch and, you know, it just, it just, it just a conversation like you'd have in your living room and people tell you what they need and then you help them get it. Well, so how did you even get to that? Like in, I mean, you didn't wake up with this one day. So how did you kind of develop this? Like, where did you well, start? Is, that, is this the method you started with? Did you get taught this right at the gate or? Well, so no, I, I had I had five mentors in in my sales career. Um, the first one was a guy named Barney Jones, and he, when I was sixteen, I got a job selling newspaper subscriptions over the phone. And what Barney taught me was preparation. So we had a script, we memorized the script, but we also had scripted responses. We had seventy two scripted responses to every everything that the customer might say on the phone and I was ready and they weren't. And that, and and that's, that was the formula for that. (laughs) I mean, seriously, I mean, you know, whatever they said is like, okay, that's just number 42 or number, you know, 26 or, you know, number seven. I was just, I was ready. And, and, and so, you know, the, the, the word actually I was going to focus on today is, is really mastery. Okay. I think, I think too many people, in their lives, you know, they, they do things, but they, you know, they do them well enough to get by mm-hmm. and they don't really pursue mastery to, to really be world-class. And when, you know, most people, you, they toss around the worlds, you know, oh, we have world-class this or that. And it's just, it's just the marketing word, but, but I do mean world-class. Like if you compare yourself to the best salespeople in the world, are you, in that league, are you world class? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't when I started, but I got better and better and better, and I kept pursuing the next level of excellence. And so, you know, I learned preparation from Barney. Then I worked for a guy named Jack Blumenthal, who was, uh, you know, he was he had a small retail store, but we sold out of one retail store. We sold cameras, guns, motorcycles, stereos, sporting goods, and audiovisual equipment, along with motorcycles. So, you know, we called it Big Boys Toys. Our motto was, you know, if you need it, we don't have it, but if you want it, we've got it. And uh, <laughs> and and when I what I learned from Jack was how to really focus on the customer, how to, how to ask questions, how to listen and how to help them 
to find the right thing. And he didn't really care if it was a high margin product or a low margin product or, you know, if it was, you know, this brand or that brand or whatever it was like, let's find exactly the right thing for this customer and make them happy hmm. and extraordinary customer service. I mean, we we used to just replace cameras over the counter all the time. People would come in and say, Hey, I bought this camera from you and it broke. And, you know, and they would be in mid complaint and we just reach under the counter and just give them a new one. And, the, and they were just blown away. They're like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm giving you a new camera. Well, you can't do that. I'm like, why not? Well, can you? I'm like, yeah, I can. You know, it just, it, they just weren't used to that level of service. And it, it was, you know, he was just like authentic about caring for the customer and really wanting them to have the right experience. And I learned a lot from him there. Then I bought a sales training franchise um, and learned how to sell, you know, using that methodology. And then I met Tony Alessandra and Phil Wexler and Tony had written the first version of a book called non-manipulative selling. Mm, Tony, how's he doing? He's doing fabulously. He, he is. is he? Yes. He's got a company called assessments 24 seven, mm-hmm. uh, doing really, really well with that. I know you introduced me to him. That's how him and I met was your introduction. But yeah. anyway, sorry, keep going. So anyway, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's a PhD in marketing. So he had this theory that maybe the buyer and the seller shouldn't be adversaries in the sales process. Maybe they should work together to find common goals. And that was very much what Jack had taught me. Hmm. Um, and, and so we worked together on uh, the second version of the book called Non-Manipulative Selling. And uh, I, what I did was I brought methodology to the theory. So Tony had mm. a really good theory, but really light on methodology. Right. Very academic. Yeah. So what, what I've done really over the last 30 years with this is, is to bring the practice of how do you take that theory? So most people, you know, say philosophically, you know, yeah, I want to help people and the buyer and seller should be friends and, you know, all that. But, you know, it's all about relationship. But then, you know, they use 101 closes and the sharp angle closes. And, you know, let me, you know, get you in the box canyon where you can't get out and I'll back you in a corner. And it's very manipulative kind of tools to go along with that philosophy. And what we did you know, over the last 30 years is we built out the tool set mm. to, to say, how, how do you do it in a way that is open and transparent? I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, you would not almost any sales book on the market, you wouldn't send it to the customer and say, read this. And then I'm going to come in and that's how we're going to work together. Cause most people mm. would say, no, you're not coming in. Right. right. But my book, I'm happy and send it to you and say, look, this is how I'd like to work with you. What do you think? And they read it. They go, Hey, that sounds cool. Let's do it. Right. So, uh, anyway, that was Tony, Tony's contribution. And then, uh, Matt Weinstein, who, uh, happens to be a speaker. He runs a company called Playfair. He's a genius. And, um, he had me come in and speak to his team. And when I spoke to his team about how to do uh, what we were calling still back then non-manipulative selling, you know, they just called me out at like every 20 minutes. They're like, that is so manipulative. And I'm, and I'm like, really? Why? And then they told me why. And so they kind of spent two days beating the crap out of me. But um, <laughs> I mean, they did it with love and, and it was great. And it was 
transformative for me. I went home and I said, man, I am never going to have that happen ever again. And I looked every single piece of the methodology and changed it to be truly collaborative and not manipulative. And that's when we came out with the book called Collaborative Selling. So Mm. that's the history. That's awesome. So can you give us a a taste of how it works? I mean, compared to a typical scenario? I mean, you did talk about the books and how, you know, you how it's, it can be. Yeah. So, so we did this, we did, we did this in your last interview, I think, but you know, you, you, uh-huh. you, you start out with open-ended exploring questions, which are, you know, that, you know, a lot of people using this. So basically, you know, Daryl, tell me a little bit about your business and then, right. and then you're going to tell me what you tell me. And then I'm going to use clarifying and expanding questions. So, you know, Daryl, what do you mean by this thing you said, or that thing you said? And expanding questions, you know, tell me more about this or that. And so I'm just learning. I mean, it's really just understanding you and your business and what's happening and, and what's going on. And then, um, you know, as you begin to tell me, I've got this challenge or I've got this opportunity and, you know, then it's up to me to say, well, what are you doing to advance the opportunity in this arena or that arena? Or have you thought about this or that? And, and again, so just all questions. And at some point say, you know, wow, that's kind of interesting. You know, I'd like to learn more about that. And uh, I mean, you and I just did it just, you, we did this, you know, one-on-one just before the interview. You said, what are you up to? I said, you know, I got this online story. Hey, I got this cool new tool, you know, to, you know, if you, you know, could help you, right? It's that, it's just, you know, it, it, what you and I do as friends, it's the same thing you're doing it in the, in the space. The big difference is that most people go in with the, with blinkers on, right? That, mm. that I'm going in to sell my thing. Right. Instead of reversing it and saying, what's going on in the business? What's going on with the people? What are the challenges they're facing? What are the opportunities in front of them? Uh, mm. So, you know, one of the things, you know, we were, we were talking about with the generators, it's just so cool is to say, you know, we, we've got some, we've got some customers who are cash constrained, right? So they, they want to upgrade their plant, but they can't upgrade their plant. Well, we'll, we'll do it for free. What, what, mm. what if we do it for free? And We'll put in the equipment and we'll finance it and you just split revenues with us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know, that solves everybody's problem. You know, we, we get to build generators and install them and, you know, we've got a financing arm and that they make some money and, you know, you get to upgrade your plant and, and you make money and we make money and the whole thing works. So why not? Yeah, I love this because it's it's built on such a foundational premise. In fact, I forget there's a book on advertising written. I have it somewhere. It's upstairs. I should. Anyways, it's like copyright. I think it's like copyright 1816 or 1916, and it has in it the questionnaire method. Yeah. And last year, the number one hottest book, uh, according to Inc. Magazine, was Ryan Levesque, who's been on our show twice. His Ask Method. Yeah. And it's all based around this questioning philosophy. And what I love is what you just described, because there have been entire industries that have been wiped out because none of the businesses stopped to ask their customers the questions. They just focused on pushing out a product and and focusing on one pain point, but not really having a dialogue or not having a connection between the front line and management vision and decisions. And what you're talking about is the like it's it's compressed R and D and sales almost in the same breath where you're moving in lockstep with your customers. It's it's real time R and D. Yeah. And, but, but the methodology continues to be questioned. So even as you get into, you know, you start doing the problem solving with them, 
you're still asking them. It's not like, okay, now I, the God of sales, am going to pronounce upon you the perfect solution. It's not that. It's, hey, you know, what if we did this this way? How does that fit? What if we did it that way? How does it fit with your culture? How does it fit with your budget? How does it fit with, you know, I mean, in traditional selling, you know, you do all this pitching and whatever. And then at the end, you know, there's like the big reveal of the price. Well, that's silly, right? The price should be integral to the solution. You know, mm-hmm. how, how does this kind of a thing work in your budget? Well, it doesn't really, you know, we, you know, we, we you know, we've got, it's either got to come out of the capital budget or it's got to be expensed or it's got to be leased or it's got to be, you know, whatever. And it's going to come out of this budget and it has to look like this, or maybe it can be split among two or three budgets, but then it's got to look like that, right? All of that is part of the shaping of the perfect solution. And so the whole thing is collaborative and and we sit side by side and we co-create. And that's, that's, you know, that's really the magic to it. And when you, when you've co-created the perfect solution, they just, they just buy it. You don't have to sell it. They just say, perfect, let's do it, right? There's not, you know, there's not, you don't need 101 ways to close. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the picture that's been painted in my mind as you've described that is like a couple that's trying to plan their vacation or a honeymoon. Exactly. Or and they're sitting down talking about it together. And what do we, what do we want to do? Where do we want to go? Oh, there's this, Oh, but that's too expensive. Oh, but you know this, Oh, but you know, and it, and it sucks the pain out of it, the fear out of it. And depending on what your product or service is, people might be embarrassed or shy about some things. And it just creates the, the beautiful thing about a conversation is like, they say, you know, you got to get to the third. No, Right before it's a real no, it's that's very pushy. Uh, you know, right. But a, the flip side of that is when you ask questions, usually the real answers are three layers deep. Right. And you can't get there unless there's momentum. Right. And that's well, and this is where you, but but it's it's you're building trust. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you know the, the, the typical, you know, I, I, I'll I'll just pick you know an old model you know the stockbroker model you know uh, daryl if i were if i were ever to find an investment that i thought was truly extraordinary would you be would you want me to call you okay well you, you got to be an idiot to say no to that right mm-hmm. but but i know i'm being manipulated so i want to mm-hmm. say no because you're being a jerk but then i'm an idiot right so i mean it's like the win for me right mm-hmm. whereas if, if if you say look what you know what are the things that you're comfortable investing in like, you know, what, what's going on with your portfolio now? What would you like to see going on with your portfolio in the future, right? What's in the way of you getting there? Then we can have a conversation about it. And then I might have something or I might not. This is the other piece. You have to be willing to realize that maybe you're not the solution. And it's okay. You go, hey, Daryl, that was awesome. I don't think I have anything you need. You know, let's, you know, let's be friends. We'll continue the relationship. But for now, I don't, I don't have anything. But, you know, I might next week or next month or next year, have a new thing. They're like, oh my God, this is perfect for Daryl. Then I can call you go, hey, Daryl, I got something I think you might be interested in, right? But I don't come in and just pitch it. I come in and I say, tell me what's going on. What's changed since we last talked? You give me an update. Okay, well, you still have an issue with that? Yeah, I'm still having that issue. Okay, well, I think I might have something that might help you now, right? Now you're going to trust me. You're going to go, hey, he walked away. And, and now, you know, I know that when he says he has something that fits that, you know, I can trust him that, that it's really going to help me. And mm. so, you know, this is the critical stuff. It's, it's, it's about building a trusted 
lifelong relationship where you can sell over and over and over again and do business together over and over and over again. And, you know, so one of my mantras is fewer, deeper, right? I don't have to have 5,000 customers. I mean, in some companies you can have three customers and as a salesperson and you can make a really cool living. I mean, you know, you can get rich on two or three customers in some cases, one customer. Yep. Very well said. So what does this look like? If someone's sitting there, okay, I got something, you know, I've done six figures or seven figures in my company. You know, we think we have things dialed in. How do we use this to accelerate our revenues? How do we use this to make more money faster now? Okay. Well, so usually what I find is in, in the organization and that's where, you know, I'm sort of a generalist with a, with a, I'm sort of, they like, they call it T-shaped. So I'm, I have deep subject matter expertise in the revenue generation, and then and then I'm a generalist across the top, right? So both horizontal and vertical. Mm-hmm. And so often I find that there are a lot of other glitchy things that make it difficult for people to do business with you. So you've got to smooth the on ramp. So I was with an organization the other day, and I said, you know, so they're I said, you know, walk me through how you do this, and they're telling me, and they, and I, you know, so I get to the part, you know, I'm playing the role of the customer, and I said, so how much is this? And they said, you know, it's $1,500. And I went, wow. Okay. Oh, now I got to think, right. It's like, well, you know, if you offered financing, the answer to that question would be it's $39 a month. Okay. Well, as a homeowner, you know, that $39 a month sounds a whole lot better than shelling out $1,500. I don't know if you saw the study last year, but 64% of Americans don't have a thousand dollars for an emergency. Mm. Okay, so if if they don't have a thousand dollars for an emergency, what you can do have fifteen hundred dollars for your product, right? Right, but thirty nine dollars a month is a no brainer, right? But but you just have to have that in place. Now you say, well, okay, that's stupid and obvious. Everybody has finance, but not everybody does. A lot of small business people don't think like that. So you have to smooth the on ramp, and mm. and you know, in in the case of a large company, you know, do you do you do repairs on your competitors' products? Well, mm. no, you know, why, why would we do that? You know, that seems like, you know, that's yeah. like, okay, but, but you're endorsing their product. Right. But, but, right. but why not? Okay, I mean, yeah. it's the same, you know, bells and whistles and fuses and plugs and whatever. Why wouldn't you support that product? Uh, I was, I was having this conversation with, with a company last week and I got an email today from the guy, which I thought was, this is genius. And what he's doing is he bought the domain and I won't, tell you the domain, but he bought the domain for his competitor's brand name combined with free batteries. So it's, you know, free batteries for a competitor name. And so while his competitor is trying to sell the batteries at a huge markup, he's just going in and going, you know, I'll I'll give it to him because it costs me three, four bucks. And my lead generation cost right now is 200. (laughs) Right. So why wouldn't I give them a $3, $6 battery? And then I've got them on my list. Yep. Right. So, yep. so those are the kinds of things just, you know, how do you smooth the on-ramp? How do you make it easy for people to do business with you? Uh, yep. And, and we, you know, so there's just, there's a lot of methodologies around that is, is, 
you know, let's just make it simple. We make it so complex. I was working with a company a few years ago and, uh, you know, I said, well, you know, show me your, you know, your menu of products. And they had, I mean, literally 30 or 40 products that mm-hmm. they were trying to sell. And, I'm, and I looked at this, I'm like, oh my God, this is overwhelming. Yeah. Said, Where do I start? They said, well, you always start with this one. I said, okay, now what's number two? And they go, well, you know, you can go anywhere. Oh, oh, so I'm only confused for a minute. Now, I mean, unconfused for a minute. Now I'm reconfused again, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, what we did is we said, why don't we do this? <laughs> why don't we just make it a flat package and you get everything that you need whenever you need it? So you don't need, you know, 40 products all at once. You're going to need them at different, you know, as your career develops, you're going to need these different tools at different times. But you pay us one flat monthly fee and you get whatever tools you want whenever you need them. Well, I mean, they just love that. I mean, we just signed up, you know, uh, it was a it was a big monthly ticket but we signed up hundreds of people yep. and, it, and it was amazing. They were just like, Oh my God, this is so much simpler. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the devil's in the details. What I love again, what I love and emphasize about this, like obviously for the listeners, Rick is my friend, but I know him well, I know where he's lived. I know what he's capable of. And it's, and it's really powerful. It might sound simple, but don't, don't let the simplicity fool you because, I mean, that's what happened to newspapers. Newspapers forgot the problems they were solving for people. And that's why you're in business. And this is, we're kind of like dancing around something that's a real pain point and something that entrepreneurs, even such as myself, butt up again and again, where we want to do this in business. I want to do this. I like baking pies. I want to bake pies. Okay, great. You can bake pies as a hobby, but if you're going to bake pies as a business, Who's going to pay you for them again and again and again? And what do they need? What do they want? What was the last time you really had a deep conversation and got that data and made it actionable in your business? And how fast are you updating and advancing things, right, to stay with the trends, to stay with your competitors? Are you being made redundant right now? You know, is your industry, are you in an industry, have you been to Google Trends lately lately, and use some random keywords that you are, or the keywords you know are for your business to see if it's your industry is shrinking or expanding? Because if you're in a declining market, a declining business, this sort of methodology could be the only thing that would save you because it will give you the answers to what people are actually thinking and tell you where things are going and what your customers need. Otherwise you might just end up waking up one day, totally redundant. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I just, I'm, I, I wish i what I'm struggling for is to make my words more impactful because of how important it is. I mean, the marketing graveyard is littered or the business graveyard is littered with world-class products and services that nobody knew about or cared about or understood how it benefited them. And sometimes it was one feature away. It was a pricing plan away. It was just one little change that the customer needed in order to make it acceptable and let them buy it in masses. Right. And it's just, no one had that. It it was, it was never made available. I mean, that's like the smartphone explosion. You know what I mean? Like, by as a lot of these poor third world countries in that everyone's got phones now because they found ways to make it workable. Like in a lot of countries, nobody has pre uh, uh, like a subscription plan. Everyone's on prepaid where they pay in advance and stuff. And I, I mean, previously, if you didn't get in tune with the market and know their needs and wants and desires, you might have missed out on one of the, I think it's the biggest uh, market, cell phone market right now is the prepaid plan part. You know, I grew up in Canada and for me, everybody was on a monthly subscription plan with their phones, but it looks like the prepaid on a worldwide scale is a much, much, much bigger market. And if you never sat and talked to people, if you were like, oh, let's try and sell these phones in Brazil, let's try and sell them in Asia, let's try and sell them in Africa. 
and they weren't selling, if you didn't sit down and have those conversations, you would have been like, oh, there's no market here and walked away from it when literally you were sitting on top of the biggest gold mine for cell phones and that that there is. So I just want to point that out, Rick, because you're, I think you're really explaining it well. And for you, you've been at this for years. So I know some of this is like the same song for you. But for a lot of people listening, I, I guarantee I guarantee there's people listening that can't move their product or it's not selling the right same way. And it, part of it is because they're disconnected from their consumers or they're not having the conversations. Or if they are, they're not listening. You know, they're not trying to think collaboratively. And I think it's just, it's so important because the way technology is moving these days, how fast things are updating, everyone's changing the next shiny, shiny object. But what people are forgetting is, are we serving the customer? Do you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day. Yeah. So, uh, so I, let me give you two, let me give you two examples. Mind blowing examples. You ready? Sure. Here's number one. How old a product is lettuce? Say what? How, Say that again. How, how old of a product is lettuce? Lettuce has been around forever, I think. Okay, well, forever for lettuce turns out to be 5,000 years. So humans have been eating lettuce for 5,000 years, okay? But just a few short years ago, somebody said, I wonder what those people do, those humans who go into the grocery store and they buy lettuce. I wonder what they do with it when they get it home. And they followed them home and they figured out that they wash it and they cut it up. And so they went back to the factory and they said, hey, what if we washed it and we cut it up and we clean and we put it in a bag? Lettuce in a bag. Lettuce in a bag is a seven billion dollar business that was available for five thousand years before somebody took that little simple step of smoothing the on ramp. Want to hear it? An even better one. This is this is not. Yeah, let's it's do not. It. It's let's not bigger, it. but I think it's cooler. Do it. So you heard of TiVo? Yes. TiVo was the first DVR. They had the ability to pause live TV, to skip commercials, and to, you know, they were the people who ended appointment television. I have to be home at seven thirty on Tuesday because my show is on. No, you could record it anytime like a DVR, but it was digital and you could, you know, speed up and slow down and skip commercials and pause live TV. I mean, it was a really cool product. They tried to explain it to consumers. Complex product, if you've never seen it before, television works. And they, they spent $180 million trying to explain it. And, while, and over that five years, while they were trying to explain it, all their competitors, the cable companies and the satellite companies, built DVRs. And TiVo mm. never really capitalized. Now, let's go back to the beginning and let's smooth the on-ramp. Those units cost about $180 to make. What if in the first year they had given away a million units? And I would have started with celebrities and radio talk show hosts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) giving away a million units in Mm -hmm. in every neighborhood and city across at least the u.s maybe around the world but starting in the u.s a million people would have had that experience in the first 30 days and they would have told all their friends and neighbors and tivo would have been five years ahead of their competitors Mm -hmm. so you have to think Mm -hmm. about you know how do we do this in a way that's going to really get it done in a way that that works for the for the customer, you have to think yeah. like a customer from their point of view. You have to understand, you know, what what's going on. 
I'm, you know, I'm working with an insurance company now. They had a really sophisticated, very cool product. But the explanation is so complex, it it numbs the mind. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. what we're working on right now is, you know, how do we explain this with a really simple graphic, a simple phrase that makes this extraordinary product accessible to the average person so they go oh i get it right here's the here's the thing that makes it magical because then they'll sell that out of it i i have another example for this and it's i think it's a good one too and that's netflix versus blockbuster because at its height blockbuster was a billion dollar company they already had all the licenses to rent the movies they had the libraries they had a team they had infrastructure they they were an international company they had everything you could want or need and netflix was just a little startup but what they had is netflix was better in tune with the customers their want and need for convenience and simplicity and like you said they gave it away for three for free um they did a like they basically just bought all the paid traffic they could online to give people a free 30 days access to Netflix online. Try it free. And Netflix even started by, we'll just mail you the the DVD. You don't need to come to the store. We'll send you a catalog and you can just pick out what you want. We mail it to you. And it was based off this conversations with customers. What do you want? What do you need? What are you frustrated about with the current experience? And block literally a startup beat a billion dollar giant. I mean, they had billions of dollars. The internet was still around. If anyone was better poised to take advantage of it, it was Blockbuster because they already had an IT department and all the infrastructure and they already had all the content contracts. And the customer list. The customer list. They had everything you can want and need. It's it's That's a perfect example of a company that had it and lost it because they weren't in touch with their customers. Well, and, and, there, and there, there's a very common reason. I mean, this, this is the reason that, that they get, that they blockbuster didn't do it is, is a very common reason why a lot of companies don't shift. And that is they were making the bulk of their money on late fees. Mm. And they didn't want to give up late fees. They would have had to go backwards to go forward. Right. And so this is why incumbents get in trouble because they get addicted to a certain type of revenue that is not good for the customer. Yep. Yep. So it's, and then it becomes a parasitic relationship. And as soon as a better alternative comes, everybody jumps ship. That's exactly right. And, and, and so, you know, Netflix looked at the at the late fees and they said, you know, you keep our CD forever if you want to. We don't care because you're paying. You get unlimited movies per month, but you can only have one at a time. Yeah. So you want to keep one all month? Fine. You want to keep it for three months? Fine. You want to turn return it every, you know, every day? Go ahead. It's, it doesn't matter to us. Yeah. Because they know that people are so busy. How many movies can they watch in a month? Not really that many. Yeah. Yep. Some yep. are going to watch yep. more and some are going to watch less, but all in all, we're going to make a really fine living. Which and I think, I think, I don't even know what it's at, but I know that Netflix is, it's, I want to say it's a $10 billion a year company. I think it's got to be, it's up there. It's, it's surpassed Blockbuster. Oh yeah, by far. And not only just in gross revenues, it's, it's flatter. It's such a flatter company. They've got less than 50% the overhead and they're doing something like 10x the revenue. Right. That Blockbuster did. But, just by staying in touch with their customers. Right. But they didn't stop there. They're they're paying for original programming. Mm-hmm. That's right. right. Which is you know, which is the next thing that people get is they go, okay, now I have a Netflix subscription, but I feel like 
I've watched it all. Yeah. I didn't say I did watch it all. I said, I feel like I've watched it mm-hmm. all. In other words, I've watched everything I think I'm interested in. Yeah. So how are you going to feed that appetite? Well, they, they took control of that and said, we, we, we know what your preferences are, Daryl or Bansky, because we yep. know everything yep. you've rented and how long you kept it. Yep. And, 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 you know, and everything you've watched, everything you've downloaded and, and they even have it by person inside the household. So they have, you know, each of my family members tagged and they know exactly what I want. They don't have to wonder what kind of content to make for me. They know exactly yep. what I want. Which, which directors I like and which actors or actresses I like. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's a formula. It's just a formula for, you know, for, as you started to say earlier, it's persistent R and D. Yeah. Yeah. Real time. So, all right, Rick. Well, I mean, this has been such a valuable call. I really think people should listen to it again and maybe even check out the first interview that we did with Rick because the stuff, again, it, it sounds super simple, but this is the heart and soul. Yep. Without customers, you don't have a business. Can, can, I, share, can, I, can I share a couple of statistics? It. I'm, I'm, it's only because it. you and I are friends that I'm interrupting. <laughs> oh, all good. I'm, Do it. I'm interrupting from love. That's okay. So I, I want to share some statistics with you because, you know, you made the comment, you said, wow, this sounds simple and so forth. It is not simple in practice. The idea sounds mm-hmm. simple. You know, it's sort of like geometry. When you watch somebody else do geometry, you go, oh, yeah, that was easy. Right. And you try to do it. It's really hard. But let's talk about revenue growth because people do not understand how hard revenue growth is. What do you think the revenue growth rate for the S&P 500 is? Oh, I don't even know. I know whatever I guess would be way off. Yeah, take a guess just for fun. I, oh, you're going to make me embarrass myself. The S&P. Oh, the S&P. Oh, geez. I don't even know but if it's 10% a year. It's not. It's 2.09%. Yeah. Okay. These are the biggest, best, smartest revenue generators in the world, supposedly, and they're at 2.09% revenue growth. Revenue growth is hard. Okay. The highest ever was 12.56, and that was in 2005. Wow. Okay, now check this out. 6% of the S&P 500 generated 50% of the total profits. Right. That's 28 companies generate half the profit. So revenue growth and profit are hard. Okay, let's go to small business for a second. The fastest growing sector among small businesses is construction, and they generate 10.6% growth. The average small business is 7.5. These are all 2015 statistics from Forbes. Hmm. So you think about this, the average small business is at 7%, you know, the best are at 10% and the S&P 500 is at 2%. So what does it take to generate 15, 20, 50% a year? Mm-hmm. It's it, it's hard. It is not mm-hmm. easy. So that's why it's important. And that's why the focus has to be there. Mm-hmm. Yes. And especially if you're an established business or a mature business, because it's easy to get comfortable and sit back on your laurels. You might experience a lot of growth when you're brand new because you're just ramping up. So you might be able to say, hey, we grew 100% over last year. But to maintain that in a company, in an industry, year over year over year is extremely, extremely difficult. And really, at the end of the day, the person who has the smoothest operations and, I mean, smoothest operations and knows the consumer best wins. You know, at the end of the day, if you if you know what people want, if you're walking in step with them and then you're more efficient within the competitors and delivering it. I mean, that's that's how you get and stay ahead of the curve. If your operations aren't so smooth, but you're still in lockstep with what customers want, you'll still get the business. 
because people, you know, will be willing to go through that with you. And you're working with them, and they know that things are, you know, it's like if you bought something, but it's it's almost like you said, like the camera. Somebody bought a camera, but it was busted. They brought it back to the store, and you're like, oh, here's a new one. If you're working with people like that, it creates a relationship for an ongoing for ongoing business. And that's the other thing that a lot of people forget is they'll do business with customers, but then they're afraid to go back and ask. They don't have the confidence to go back and ask for another sale because they're not sure if they're happy or not with the first thing they sold them. Right. Keep your customers happy. They just, you know, they come back, come back, come back. Recurring revenue is what it's all mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Rick, again, so valuable, such really important stuff. I think we gave some fantastic examples as well. People want to be in touch. We already mentioned at the beginning, they can go check out and get a free copy of the book from your website. What was it? Barrera.com? What was it? B-R-A-R-R-A. Sure, they can email me. Yep, go ahead. B-A-R-R-E-R-A.com. Or you just email me directly, rick.barrera at barrera.com, and I will uh, send you a copy of the book. That's awesome. So if they want to copy the book, if they want to get in touch with anything else, is email the good, the best method to, to use to reach out to you as well? Yep. Rick, rick.barrera at barrera.com. And can you talk a little bit about the Center for Heart-Led Leadership? I want to know well, just a little should, bit about that we and should, we should, going on there. We should do another whole podcast on that. Um, but... What we're doing is people are at the core of every business. So if you, if you ask any entrepreneur or business owner, um, you know, what's your biggest challenge? They also, they always say it's, it's my people. It's, you know, managing and leading my people. And then you say, what's your greatest asset? And, And most companies will say it's my people. And so, you know, what we do at the center for heart led leadership is we really teach uh, managers, how to become leaders and how do you really lead people in a way that inspires them in a way that, that generates huge revenue growth? How do you build a high performance team that sets a target and then hits the target? How do you find, you know, how do you declare a daring destination? And then how do you get your team on track to do it? And we have 13 core principles, which you know, I'm happy to come back. We'll talk about that. But uh, world-class faculty, we've got, you know, we've got, you know, a mountain climber who's one of 11 Americans to climb both Everest and K2. Um, We've got um, an astronaut who accomplished 150% of the mission objectives. We've got um, a SEAL Team 6 leader who took out the number three Al-Qaeda guy. I mean, these are, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs. I mean, really, really world-class faculty, people who've been there and done that. And I have to tell you, Daryl, they are the most humble people I've ever met in my life. They're so, uh, they're so caring. They're so passionate about what they do. They're you know they they have inspired me. I mean I've I've become a different person by being engaged with them. And we we run a program there, um, and I'm actually launching a podcast coming up uh, pretty soon. I'll let you know about that. But. Uh, we run a program there that it's a it's 12 days over the course of the of a year. You go for three days, four times, and uh, you get to meet these people and hang out with them and talk with them. And and it's not just that you get to do room clearing with the Navy SEAL. We give you an airsoft gun and you learn how to clear rooms. And and you you go out in the woods with the mountain climber and you you know you learn about that. And it and we do it's a 24 hour experience. So at at night you're out bouldering. In you know in the in the pitch black it's fascinating I mean just you just do things you never 
whatever experience in any other kind of a thing. I call it leadership fantasy camp, but it's transformational. It's just completely and totally transformational. If you have any interest in leadership and you want to invest in yourself, it's, it's unlike anything anywhere in the world. And how do people find out more information about that? I will probably get you back to talk about that explicitly. But for those that just heard the teaser and was like, this sounds really cool. Where do they go? They just reach out to me directly. Again, rick.barrera at barrera.com. Um, or they, okay. they can go to the Center for Heart-Led Leadership, um, heartledleadership.com and find out more there also. There we go. Rick, thank you so much. It's truly an honor to be able to call you a friend. Um, you have wealth of knowledge and information in the trenches so many years after year after year and a proven track record for growth. And I, what I love the model, it, it's, it is heart led the model, like just the way you operate, you just, I mean, it's why we're still friends after all these years. So I just appreciate you. I'm grateful that I can introduce you to some other people. Cause I know that they'll be well, well taken care of. And uh, it's just an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for sharing again. Um, I'm honored to be your friend. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.